Welcome to the Faith Dialogue Podcast with your host, Pastor Ken Baer. Are you ready to swim in the deep end of the Bible pool or climb to the top of Faith Mountain? If so, open the eyes that see, those ears that hear, and a heart that is receptive. Get your cup of coffee and your Bible as we begin. We are in the book of Galatians, and uh, today's, today's message, let me tell, I'm going to tell you a story before we get into the message. Um, the, the, back in the 1980s, the 1980s, my wife and I were a relatively new married couple. We had two small children, and we were attending a church called Fairhaven. Uh, Fairhaven. It comes out of the book of Acts that they landed at Fairhaven. That's where Paul spent some time. The church was named Fairhaven. It was a small church, maybe 150, 200 people, but we had everything in common. It was one of those churches where you did everything together. And as a young dad, I was always involved with children's ministry, doing stuff with my kids as well as other kids as well. And um, a lot of athletic type stuff, whether it was basketball or, or soccer or baseball. I coached all the different leagues and the kids always played. Well, it was basketball season. And my son uh, was, a, was a basketball fan. And the reason was is that Ford Motor Company had, had a, a box uh, for the Pistons. And we would go to the Pistons games. And if you remember the 1980s, that was the, the Pistons' time. That was, that was their time. That was Isaiah Thomas and Dennis Rodman and Joe Dumar and Bill Lambeer. They, they won a couple championships in the 1980s. So my son was becoming a basketball fan. And I know I'm a little biased, but my son at eight years old actually could play basketball. So we were playing basketball one Saturday. We had joined a league called the Little Dribblers. Uh, not, not, not meaning water dribble but actually basketball dribble. So the kids were all playing uh, basketball and they were like seven, eight years old. So you can imagine that my job as the coach was basically to keep order and kind of make sure that nobody got hurt. Well, sure enough, and like I said, my son actually knew the game. He understood the game and, and as, as an eight-year-old, he was already showing some of the talents that he would end up using when he was in high school because he played varsity basketball in high school. So, so sure enough, it's mid-court. And all of a sudden, the ball gets loose, right? And it goes across the court. And my son picks it up. And he starts dribbling down the court. And he's dribbling with his right hand. And he's dribbling with his left hand. And I'm going, oh, look at this. This is amazing. And I mean, he, he goes around a couple of defenders. And he's going to the hoop. And sure enough, not only does he go to the hoop, but he lifts the ball, lifts his leg. The ball bounces off the backboard and goes right into the hoop. And you already figured out, right? It was the wrong hoop. Oh, no. so, so his excitement lasted only but a moment because he comes down with this smile on his face. It was amazing. Nobody else could have done this. It was the wrong hoop. So immediately people start laughing, and he's only eight years old. So he starts crying, and he runs off the court, and I have to call timeout and go find my son and try to encourage him because... What he did was amazing. Not a lot of kids couldn't do that. They didn't have the dexterity to be able to dribble or to be able to put a, I don't even know I could do a layup anymore, but, but he's able to put a layup in there and the ball went in. And so to this day, I, I can't tell him, hopefully he won't see the video, because I've told this story four or five times in my life of ministry over the last 20 years, and he finds out I tell it and he hates it, okay? Because to this day. But, but that's why our message today it's called going the wrong way. Going the wrong way. And you'll see how this, this fits in with what our scripture is for today. So you can follow along. We're in Galatians chapter 3, a brand new chapter, beginning in verse 1. And this is what, this is what Paul has to say. He says, O foolish Galatians, 
There we go. O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you that you should not obey the truth, before whose eyes Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed among you as crucified? This only I want to learn from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? Are, are you so foolish? Having begun in the Spirit, are you now being made perfect by the flesh? Have you suffered so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? Verse 5. Therefore, he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you, does he do it by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? Just as Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness, therefore know that only those who are of faith are sons of Abraham. And the scriptures foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith preached the gospel to Abraham beforehand, saying, In you all the nations shall be blessed. So then those who are of faith are blessed with believing Abraham. So as we start Galatians 3, we see that Paul is still on it, but actually he's finishing up his, his persuasive speech to the Galatians. He, he's very adamant that he needs to make this case that it's faith in Christ that matters and not the law. Now, he has been making this for a while. Remember, last week, he was actually talking about, talking about Peter and how, how Peter basically had uh, played, played the, uh, 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 the hypocrite and, and was okay with the Gentiles as long as the Gentiles were there. But then the Jews showed up, he ended up becoming a hypocrite and only associated with the Jews. So Paul is interested in making sure that we understand that we are made righteous in God's eyes because of our faith in Jesus Christ. The, Jew, the, the Galatian Christians, both Jews as, as well as Gentiles, believed in Christ and began enjoying their freedom in Christ. But then there was a group that snuck in, remember? And the name of the group was the Judaizers. And they came in and basically they also claimed to believe in Jesus as the Messiah, the long-awaited Messiah. But they wanted the Gentiles as well as the Jews to continue in the Jewish law. Um, and, and again, Paul reminded us that, that, that Peter and, and the apostles had given he and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship, that they had basically said what he was doing was fine, but that he would be the, Gentile, the, the apostle to the Gentiles, while Peter was going to be the apostle to the Jews. Uh, but he uses this very, very strong language, and I want to talk about the language a little bit. Paul says this, he says, oh foolish, oh foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you that you should not obey the truth before whose eyes Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed among you as, as crucified? Uh, now, you, these are very strong words. This word foolish and bewitched, okay? And they're, designed, they're words that are designed to shock, designed to call your attention, to kind of wake you up. It's like, it's like wait a minute, he's been talking to us, but now he's calling us, us foolish. And this is because of the gravity of their error because of the gravity they're aware. Now, foolish is not the same word as stupid, right? We call people stupid all the time. But foolishness means something different. Foolishness is the opposite of wise, of wise. And see, this is the thing. God wants us to be wise. He wants us to take what he's taught us, what the scriptures have to say, what we hear in our sermons, what we hear in our daily devotionals, and apply it to our life and apply it wisely. And if you're not wise, 
you end up becoming a fool. Now, now nobody wants to be a fool, right? I mean, nobody wants to be called a fool. It's, the, it's fighting words where I came from. Okay, th those were fighting words to be called a fool. Secondly, Paul uses this word bewitched. Uh, he asked the, it's, uh, the question, who has bewitched you? Now, this is a rhetorical question. You know what a rhetorical question is, right? It's, it's a question that doesn't deserve an answer. I'll, I'll give you an example. It's like, it's like if you have a dog at home, you know, and, and you walk into your kitchen, you've been gone for a little while, and all of a sudden the, the kitchen garbage is turned over, right? And, and it's like spread all over the kitchen, right? And, and you walk up to your dog and you say, did you do that? <laughs> right? You're not expecting an answer, right? It's like, did you do that? Of course you did that. I mean, Paul knows exactly what's happened. When he says, who has bewitched you, he's using an interesting word. That word bewitched actually has a, has a connotation of an evil eye. Okay, do you know what an evil eye is? In, in some countries, if you go over to, to Italy these days, okay, they still have it. If you go to parts of Africa, um, in Haiti, for example, voodoo is, is this thing. They have an evil eye. They'll put a curse on you okay, by giving you an, like, an evil eye. And that's what Paul's talking about. He's saying, he's saying what's happened to you is almost like spiritual. It's almost like superstitious. Somebody's done something to you because I taught you, I gave you all the right information, and you were doing so well, but now... You've, you've gone back. You're going the, the wrong direction. That's, that's the, the, my title today. You know, there's, a, there's another person. I told the story of my son, but there's, a, there's another person that's known for going the wrong way. Uh, have you ever heard the name Wrong Way Corrigan? Okay. Uh, back in 1938, 1938, um, airlines, it's still kind of its infancy. Um, uh, Charles Lindbergh was just 10 years before that. And there's a guy named Douglas Corrigan. Uh, known as Wrong Way Corrigan. He wanted to, he departed from New York City for a cross-country trip west to the state of California, uh, but it landed instead 3,000 miles east in Dublin, Ireland. Okay. Completely the wrong way. Now, Corrigan blamed his transatlantic fight on, on heavy clouds that made it difficult to navigate. But see, here's the real story. The real story is this, is that he was motivated by Charles Lindbergh and wanted to be able to do the same thing that Charles Lindbergh had done as well. So he appealed to a group that was the forerunner of the FAA for permission to fly across the Atlantic Ocean, and they denied it. So he had his mechanics install the extra fuel tanks. Okay, couldn't even see out of the plane, just like Charles Lindbergh. Put the extra fuel tanks on and pretended that he was going to fly to California, but of course went the wrong way. Now, this story actually is very applicable to what's going on because these Judaizers knew exactly what they were doing. This wasn't just, oh, let's add the law to the gospel. They knew that once you get circumcised and once you start following the laws of the Jews, all 615 laws and all of the commandments and you start going back into the sacrificial system, all of a sudden the blood of Christ loses its effect. It, it, you lose that constant reminder of who Christ Jesus is, that it was by faith that Abraham was de declared righteous. They'll, they'll forget that, and they'll start believing that it was the law. And this is why I said that legalism to this day in our churches is very dangerous, because we start thinking that it's because we don't drink, or don't chew, or don't go with girls that do, right? I mean, because we do these things that somehow we're holy, 
but you're not because you do some of these things. And Paul is trying to make sure that people understand that that's just, that's just foolishness. Paul says, before whose eyes Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed as crucified. Let's go on. Verse 2 and 3. Paul says, did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? Are you so foolish, having begun in the Spirit, are you now made perfect by the flesh? Now, Paul refers to receiving the Spirit. That's the, the Holy Spirit. If you remember, Peter had this account back in, um, uh, Peter had this account basically when he saw Cornelius. Okay, and he brought the gospel to Cornelius, and all of a sudden, Cornelius, who's a Gentile, along with all of his friends, are listening to the gospel, and before Paul can give his altar call, they're already speaking in tongues. They've received the Holy Spirit. So, and Peter says, well, who can forbid baptism now? We see that they've already received the Spirit. This is what Paul is talking about. Paul is reminding the Galatians that they've got equal status, equal status with the Jews. They've already received the Holy Spirit. They are just like the Jews. They've been saved because of the blood of Jesus Christ. And what Paul's going to get to is the difference between the new covenant that has better promises and the Old Testament. Why go back to the Old Testament when the New Testament is better? Remember the days of Sears? Remember buying things at Sears? You could buy a hot water heater that was good, or you could buy one that was better. <laughs> Which one are you going to get, right? You're going to pay the extra $45 and get the better hot water heater, right? Why buy something good when you can get something better? And that's exactly what we have in your Bible. You have an Old Testament and you have a New Testament. The Old Testament is good. It's going to point to Christ. A lot of times the things that are concealed in the Old Testament are revealed in the New Testament. But the New Testament is better, because it's a new covenant based on better promises, based on the blood of Jesus, not the blood of bulls and goats and lambs. So let me read to you uh, chapter 8 of, of Hebrews. This is a relatively long piece of, of scripture. I don't usually do this. But it, but it fits so well with this idea of something that is better. So I want to take you through it. Uh, we're gonna, this is ch chapter 8 of Hebrews, beginning in verse 1. The writer of Hebrews, by the way, many people think is Paul, or at least a disciple of Paul. It says in verse 1, Now this is the main point of the things we are saying. We have such a high priest who is seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heavens, a minister of the sanctuary and of the true tabernacle, which the Lord erected and not man. Now see, this high priest that Hebrews is talking about is none other than Jesus Christ. He is the minister in the tabernacle that's not made with hands. You see, you have one in Jerusalem at the time that was made by hand, by Solomon and all the workers, but this one was made without hands. There you go. Verse 3. For every high priest is appointed to offer both gifts and sacrifices. Therefore, it is necessary that this one also have something to offer. For if he were on earth, he would not be a priest, since there are priests who offer the gifts according to the law, who serve the copy and shadow of the heavenly things as Moses was divinely instructed when he was about to make the tabernacle. You see, Jesus is both king and priest. We had two different roles before in Jerusalem. You had the kingdom, okay, you had the kings, which were from the line of Judah, but then you had the priests, which were coming from Levi. But Jesus Christ was both king and 
priest. He was priest. It says that it was necessary this one would have something to offer. The priest in Jerusalem would take the blood of a goat or a bull or a lamb, and they would offer that. But Jesus Christ took his own blood. That's why this is a better covenant. It's got better promises, and it's got a better high priest. Then it says, For he said, See that you make all things according to the pattern shown you on the mountain. But now he has obtained a more excellent ministry, inasmuch as he is the, also a mediator of a better covenant, which was established on better promises. You know, the tabernacle in the, in the wilderness and the temple in Jerusalem are just copies. They're just copies of the real thing, okay? What would you rather have? Would you rather have the real thing or would you rather have a copy? I can give you a $100 bill or I can give you a photocopy of a $100 bill. Which would you take, okay? Would you take the good water heater or would you take the better water heater, right? We want the better. We want the real thing. And that's what Paul is saying. And so what the book of Hebrews is saying is that what we have with Jesus Christ is so much better than what we had under the law. Verse 7 says, For if that first covenant had been faultless, then no place would have been sought for a second. Because finding fault with them, he says, Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. You see, there was a need for a new covenant. Now, fortunately, we're going to find out that that new covenant goes all the way back to the book of Genesis. It was all the way back to Abraham that was promised that there was something better that was still coming, that through Abraham, all of the nations of the earth would be, would be blessed. Verse 9 says, Not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day that I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt, because I, they did not continue in my covenant, and I disregarded them, says the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel of those days, says the Lord. I will put my laws in their minds and write them on their hearts. I will be their God, and they shall be my people. So notice that while God says that the people of Israel did not continue, he's also making a new covenant. The new covenant was a provision. It was a provision for the people of Israel. Now this verse, by the way, happens to be prophetic. Prophetic meaning that, there you go, meaning that some of it has been fulfilled in the new covenant we have now, but some has yet not yet been fulfilled. So sometimes we'll say the new covenant, the fullness of the new covenant is and not yet. It is the new covenant. We now have all the blessings of the new covenant, but some of the promises, particularly the promises made to the Jews, are not yet. And I'll give you an example. In Ezekiel chapter 37, this, this language in Hebrews is being taken out of Ezekiel. So let me show you the difference. In Ezekiel uh, chapter 37, it says this. It says, my servant David will be, I'm sorry, verse 36. It says, I will give you a new heart. I will put a new spirit within you. I will remove the heart of stone from your body and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you. I will take the initiative and you will obey all my statutes and carefully observe my regulations. Now, here's the thing. Nowhere in the Bible are Christians told that they are going to observe all of the statutes and obey all the regulations. This language is in particular to the Jewish people. Okay? The Jewish people are not there. The people of Israel are in the land of Israel, but they are so far away still from the Lord. There are some Messianic Jews that are in Israel. There are some rabbis that believe 
in the law, and they're trying to follow the old law and trying to do, but many of the Jewish people are still agnostic. They're still atheists. They still don't believe in the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They're cultural Jews. They're not there yet. The next chapter in Ezekiel even makes it more clear. It says, my servant David will be king over them. There will be one shepherd. They will follow my regulations and carefully observe my statutes. They will live in the land I will give to my servant Jacob, in which your fathers lived, and they will live in it, they and their children and their grandchildren forever. David, my servant, will be prince over them. See, this is still something future. That's why we say this new covenant is better, and it is for us, and yet it is not yet completely fulfilled, which is great. When you think about it, as good as it is, it's going to even get better. Let's go on. Verse 11 says this, None of them shall teach their neighbor and none of his brothers saying, Know the Lord, for all shall know me from the least of them to the greatest. For I will be merciful to their unrighteousness and their sins and their lawless deeds I will remember no more. In that day, and in that he says, a new covenant he has made the first obsolete, now which is becoming obsolete and growing old is ready to vanish away. So the first is not, the, the, the new covenant is not only better, the first is obsolete. If it's obsolete, don't buy it. Don't buy it. You know, we, we understand obsolescence today this, much more than ever before, right? Because we've got software. We've got computers. We understand that sometimes the printers that we buy today, if they're obsolete, they're not going to work with your software anymore. We understand obsolescence so much better than they did even back then. And it says the old covenant is obsolete and it's actually passing away which means the 600 rules, the requirements of, of, of circumcision, the dietary laws, the Sabbath observances are all passing away, and they're passing away because they are obsolete. Remember, 30 to 40 years after these, these books are being written, both Galatians as well as Hebrews, the temple is going to be completely destroyed. To this day, when the Jewish people celebrate Passover, the one thing they do not have on the plate is lamb. Isn't that interesting? The one thing they do not eat is lamb. They'll eat chicken, they'll eat duck, they'll eat all kinds of things, but they're not going to eat lamb. And the reason is, even though that's what the Passover was about, was the sacrifice of a lamb, they know there's no longer any temple. The temple was destroyed in 70 AD. It was inappropriate for the Jews to have a lamb because it could not be sacrificed in the temple. There was no temple anymore. This is what the book of Hebrews is saying. Not only is it obsolete, but it's now passing away. Now, the, Gentile, the, the, um, the, uh, Gal the Galatian Gentiles were not only foolish because the Juda Judaizers were hoodwinking them. That's another one of those things with the evil eye, okay? Bewitching them. They were convincing them to turn around, to go the wrong way. Instead of continuing on with Jesus and going to fulfillment and understanding what it's like to be walking with Jesus, they were turning around and going back to the old ways. The new covenant, however, was better. A better high priest based on better promises. It was a free gift, the gift of grace received through faith apart from the law. So let's go back to our text today. I think I left off in verse 4. Paul says this, he says, have you suffered so many things in vain, if indeed it was vain? Now, what's interesting is that I, I took a look at this and I thought, well, Paul was just talking about suffering. But this actually, many scholars believe this ties in with one of the teachings of the Judaizers. And then one of the teachings of the Judaizers was, you Galatians, you're suffering persecution. 
Now, truth be told, a lot of the persecution was coming from them. But they were suffering persecution. What they were saying is this, is that if you would just be circumcised and come back to the law, then God would be happy and you would no longer receive any kind of persecution. Because, of course, the Jews were never persecuted, right? <laughs> of course not. This is foolishness. This is foolishness. Uh, Jesus says, if they persecuted me, they will persecute you. Paul writes in Romans 8, 17, that we are heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. And as we suffer with him, we'll be glorified with him as well. Now, in verses 6 through 9, which kind of wraps up our teaching for today, Paul introduces Abraham. And again, Abraham lived 500 years before Moses, 500 years before the law. And this is what Paul has to say. He says, just as Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness, therefore know that only those who are of faith are sons of Abraham. And the scriptures foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preach the gospel to Abraham saying, in you all of the nations shall be blessed. So then those who are of faith are blessed with believing Abraham. You know, the Jewish people prided themselves that they were descendants of Abraham. That was, that was their call. They were the chosen people. But Paul says, remember this, is that it was by faith that God accredited righteousness to Abraham. Now, accredited, are, anybody here, accountants? Were you accountants before at one time in the past? I was, okay? That was my, that was my background. My background was finance and accounting. This word accounted in the Bible is an accounting term. That's what it means. It means that, that God sees your faith, and because of that, he accredits or accrues or reckons you as righteous. It isn't what you've done other than God says, they believe in Jesus. You believe in Jesus. You believe in Jesus. I'm going to give that to your account. You know, it's interesting. When I was in, when I was in Mexico, in, in Mexico, like many of the third world countries, uh, they didn't believe in the mail system. They, well, they believed the mail system existed, okay? But they knew they weren't, it wasn't trustworthy. So as a result, when they had to pay their utility payments, when they had to pay their mortgage payments, when they had to pay their car payments, when they had to pay a loan off, they would go to the bank. And they would bring all their money to the bank and they'd say, I want to put 150 pesos or I want to put 300 pesos on this account. I want to put 5,000 pesos at Ford Credit because of my car payment. I want to do all these different things. And the bank would account or reckon it to that individual's accounts. Well, I'm sitting over at Ford Border Credit Company, right? I'm running a big finance company. And these people are telling me that they paid, but they paid at the bank. Well, we got a couple of problems with that. Number one, in Mexico, there's, you don't have like one or two names. You have like five names. Okay, which name did they use? And the other thing was is that the payments were supposed to be $340.45. And instead, they give us $345. Now I can't find it. I got a different name and I have a different amount. So we're trying to reconcile that. And that's what God, that's what God is. Here's the thing. God has no problem with that. God knows your name. God knows exactly who you are. You don't ever have to worry about your righteousness being credited to somebody else's account. God is perfect when it comes to accounting. Now let me close by adding this comment. Notice that Abraham believed God. The scriptures are not telling us that Abraham believed in God. You see, there's a big difference. Believing God 
means that you believe all of the promises of God, that you know who God is. Believing in God is like believing in a mail service or believing in Santa Claus or believing in Christmas or believing in aliens. I mean, believing God means we believe that God sent Jesus Christ to pay the penalty for our sin. That what the scriptures say about him being born of a virgin and living a perfect life and dying in Calvary for our sins and rising on the third day, we believe all of that. We, God reckons it to our account as righteousness because we believe God. God tells us, God tells us in John 3, 16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son. Whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. To believe God is to believe in God is exactly who he says he is. In Hebrews chapter 11, it says that to believe in God means that we believe that he is and that he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. This is the, this is the faith in God that, that Paul preached. This is the gospel that these Gentiles were turning away. They had something that was better, and they were going the wrong way. Paul is trying to turn them back to understand that it's all based on a belief in God. And as a result, our, our account will be counted as righteous by God. We who are of faith are blessed. We are blessed because like Abraham, God reckons us to be righteous. He does this not by our own righteous acts, but by believing God. Believing not in the works of the law. Paul says clearly that we are blessed with believing Abraham when we believe God. This is going to be the end, by the way, of, of uh, Paul's argument about the Judaizers. I think he did a good job, didn't he? I think he won that argument. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father God, we want to name. You've been listening to Faith Dialogue with Pastor Ken Baer, recorded live at Celebrate Seniors, a ministry of Faith Dialogue. You can listen to or watch all of the recordings at Faith Dialogue by going to www.faithdialogue.org.